When I was about, I suppose, 15 or 16 years old, I had to take a test. No, I'm not talking about a test at school, although I had to take plenty of those, had to retake a couple of those. I'm not even talking about my driver's test, although I had to take that too. Thankfully, I didn't have to retake that one. I'm talking about a test that I had to take at home, and I wasn't homeschooled. It was a test that I had to take at home. You see, about that time, for several years, my mother, as well as one of the elders' wives, where the congregation where I grew up in southeast Missouri, taught the teenage girls' class. There were, I suppose, about 12 to 15 high school girls in that class, the congregation of about 400. But at this particular time, they sensed something in that class. It seemed as if there just was not the general Bible knowledge that you might expect young people to have at that age. And so in a way that tried not to embarrass the girls, it was anonymous and those sorts of things, they just gave them a short little test to take. They didn't have to write their names on it or anything. And there were questions like, how many books are in the Bible? That, that sort of thing. And to this day, I'm really mad at those young ladies because they didn't do well, so I then had to take the test at home. But my parents felt like, well, if, if they're not doing well, then maybe our own children are not knowing these things. And, of course, my sister was in college by then, so she avoided that. I was the one at home, so I got to take this test. I don't remember how many questions are on. I suppose it was 20, 25 questions, something like that. And I guess it's human nature because I don't really remember very many of the questions I got right. I got several right. I just don't remember what they were. But human nature, I remember at least one of them that I got wrong. And that was... What does the word gospel mean? And one reason I remember that, I guess, is human nature. Sometimes we remember the things we mess up on more than the things we get right. But I also remember because I remember after missing that question, we were going back to it. My mom said something like, you know, not to be all that concerned about it, because the word gospel is never actually defined in the Bible. In other words, you don't see a verse that says, the word gospel means such and such. Fast forward from that to today where we are one week away from beginning a gospel meeting. That terminology, gospel meeting, is something that I don't know how old it is. I don't know how long that term has been used. I, I've seen flyers and, and things in newsletters and so forth from several decades ago where that term has been used. I, so I don't know where the term gospel meeting originated. But maybe because we use the term so much, we forget what it really means. The word gospel, as I hope you know, means good news. Is it not right that we call this a gospel meeting? This is a good news meeting. What I want to do this morning is very simple. I want to encourage all of us to think about that terminology. We're calling this morning's lesson, Why It Is a Gospel Meeting. As we're looking forward to next Sunday, and I'm looking forward to it for a couple of reasons. It's a big gospel meeting, but also my dad speaking. Let's be honest, I don't get to spend a week with my dad very often at all. When you're both in ministry, that doesn't happen very often, so I'm really excited about it. But no matter who is speaking... I want us to think about that terminology of a gospel meeting, and you can make a list a mile long, I'm sure, but I want us to consider simply three reasons why we can call this a gospel meeting, a good news meeting, and that terminology be correct. And then the lesson will be yours, and the lesson is going to be fairly brief this morning because, quite frankly, I've been at Maywood for a week, and I feel like I've got jet lag, and I haven't been on a plane. I am tired. 
But I hope this encourages all of us, not just to attend the meeting, but to consider that terminology of gospel. Number one, we can call this a gospel meeting because it's all about Jesus. Now that may sound like a very cliche line. That may sound like something you would expect the preacher to say. But have you looked at the flyers? Have you looked at the back of the newsletter and seen the theme and the topics for the meeting that's going to begin next Sunday morning, Lord willing? It literally is all about Jesus. The theme is, why did my Savior come to earth? And we're going to be considering the simple fact that Jesus did come to the earth, but then some reasons that Jesus himself stated why he came to the earth, that they might have life and have it more abundantly, to bring judgment and so forth all throughout the accounts of the gospel. Jesus stated why he came. So we're going to be thinking about Jesus for the entire week. It is so important for us to focus our minds on Jesus. I want you to turn, if you will, to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. And while you're turning there to the very beginning of the book, or really chapter 2 of that book, I should say, I want to remind you that Paul wrote two letters to that church by inspiration. We call them, of course, First and Second Corinthians. But if you were to read through, especially the first of those two letters, in one sitting, and I know it takes a little while, it's what, 16 chapters long, it would take a little while, but if you were to read through that book in one sitting, you would see this was a church that had all kinds of issues. I had an elder when I worked in Nashville who used to say, it didn't matter what we were going through, he was just thankful he wasn't an elder in Corinth. <laughs> He's read that book enough times to see all the issues, all the problems. But what's interesting to me is that near the beginning of that letter, 1 Corinthians, and near the end of that letter, and it's sprinkled throughout as well, but especially the beginning and the end, Paul points them back to Jesus Christ. Notice what he says, for example, in 1 Corinthians 2, beginning of verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided, verse 2, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, I don't know every last word that Paul said when he was in Corinth. But what's interesting to me is Paul says here, I wasn't worried about being a great orator. I wasn't worried about teaching you everything on the planet. I was worried about focusing your minds on Jesus and Him crucified. Now fast forward all the way to near the end of the book, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We actually used this as our text last Sunday morning. Beginning in verse 1 of that chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, there's our word, of the good news I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And the text goes on to talk about the appearances of Jesus. He wanted to remind them of the gospel, the good news. What was it? Jesus. The story of Jesus. It was obvious that Paul wanted the focus of those Christians to be on Jesus. No matter what problems that congregation was facing, and there were many of them sprinkled throughout that book, no matter what each individual Christian would have been facing, and we have no way of knowing what all they might have been facing, Paul said, basically, the answer is the same. You think about the good news of Jesus. 
You focus your minds on the fact that Jesus really did come, as we prayed a few minutes ago, that He really did die on the cross, that He really was buried, that He really did rise from the dead, and that's been proven through all of those appearances from verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 15 on down through the chapter. Be motivated by that. Now, it's obvious that our whole life as Christians should be centered upon Jesus Christ. He is our Savior He is our Lord. He is our friend. He is our advocate. He took our place. I think we know all of those things. I think we have all those things in our mind intellectually. But sometimes in our busy life, sometimes based upon what we're going through, it can be very easy to let those facts become just that. They're just facts. They're just something we intellectually know. And sometimes they get placed sort of on the back burner and it's difficult to connect those intellectual facts with the motivation and the encouragement that we should gain by knowing that and by trusting in that. And that's one reason why we have a gospel meeting that focuses all on Jesus. Sunday morning, two lessons. Sunday night, one lesson at 6 o'clock. Sunday Uh, Monday evening, Tuesday evening, Wednesday evening, Thursday evening at 7 o'clock, every lesson is about Jesus. I don't know what each one of us is going through. I I don't know what everybody in here is going through. I know some people who are struggling with various things. I I don't know. There's no way for me to know everything that every person is going through. But whether it's something big in your life or something just, just very small in this life, or maybe at this time in your life, things are really great. No matter what you're going through, There is never a bad time to focus on Jesus. There is never a bad time to to set apart some time to, to pull that message off the back burner, or if you please, to take it out of just the intellectual and place it back as the motivating factor, the encouraging factor for our entire life. We can rightly call what's going to happen here in the beginning next Sunday a gospel meeting, a good news meeting, because it's all about Jesus. Number two. We can rightly call it a gospel meeting, a good news meeting, because our knowledge of the scriptures, our knowledge of the scripture, excuse me, is strengthened. Strengthening our roots, knowing God through His Word. That's our theme for 2016. That's our yearly theme for the congregation. You've seen that emphasized a few times. You remember back in February, our gospel meeting back then, the theme of the meeting centered on that, Give Me the Bible, when Joshua Manning was here. In just a few weeks, we're going to have our vacation Bible school. There have been various sermons preached so far the first half of this year focusing on that theme, knowing God through His Word. In fact, the sermon tonight will be one that kind of fits under that umbrella as well as you think about the things that cannot replace God's Word. We're trying to emphasize a true, deep desire to know the Word of God so that we can know God better. Not just so we can know some intellectual facts and maybe quote a few verses, but so we can know God better. There's a strong emphasis on striving to make this a year on strengthening our roots, deepening our roots in that knowledge. And so while our theme for our gospel meeting next week may not be directly under that overall yearly thing, the word Bible may not be in in the name of it, that's still exactly what we are doing. Three lessons on Sunday. A lesson on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. If we leave after seven lessons that are saturated with Scripture and that help us see the knowledge of the Word of God and have not deepened our knowledge, something's gone terribly wrong. Something just isn't right. Turn to the book of Acts. In fact, Acts chapter 17. The early church met constantly to study the Scriptures together. 
there seemed to have been a true thirst for the knowledge of the message of Jesus, this new message about the Messiah who had come, who had died, who had been raised, and now is back into heaven. And these early Christians wanted to know and be obedient to that message. And of course, the key passage is found in Acts 17, I believe, where Paul and Silas traveled to the city of Berea. They began to preach in that city after they'd been threatened in the city of Thessalonica. Notice what's said in Acts 17, verses 10 through 12. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing, as well as men. I don't know how many times I've heard this passage preached or read things about it, heard it mentioned, and what we always seem to jump to is that idea of these people at Berea being noble or fair-minded, some translations have, because they searched the Scriptures. That's true, but there's a phrase in between that, isn't there? There are two reasons why these people are called noble or fair-minded. The first is they received the Word with all eagerness or readiness of mind, some translations have. They wanted to drink deeply from the Word of God. They wanted to be present where these lessons or these classes or these lectures or whatever they happened to be, they wanted to be present where that was being taught. They were eager to hear those things. And then, we're told, they searched the Scriptures to see whether those things they were being taught were so, whether they were true. You've heard me say it before, that if they were examining the Scriptures to make sure what Paul was saying was true, I certainly hope you're searching the Scriptures when I get through preaching. Because I'm certainly not the Apostle Paul. But they were eager to hear, and then to take what they heard and compare it to what the Scriptures actually said and make application therefrom. There's an eagerness in that. There's an excitement in that. I do my best, I hope, and I hope it comes across. I never want to you know, shame someone, guilt someone, into attending something like a gospel meeting or a vacation Bible school or something like that. I, I know there's some who have to work in the evenings when we're going to have services. I know others struggle to get out at night, especially that many nights in, in a row. But if I'm just sitting at home, watching television, keeping up with the ball game or whatever it is, when I could be hearing the Word of God proclaimed, How do I compare with these who are called noble, fair-minded? Is there an eagerness to hear the Word of God preached? And when they heard, they made sure they were so, that they were true. We must take every opportunity to be strengthened in our knowledge of the Word of God, to deepen that knowledge. Our meeting next week is going to do just that. If we will make every effort to attend, to be eager, to listen, to study along, It is good news when people, when God's people gather to study the Scriptures together. We can rightly call it a gospel meeting, a good news meeting, simply because the Bible is open and all of us are gathered making sure that we are deepening our knowledge of the Scriptures so we can face the next day and face this life. Number three, we can rightly call it a gospel meeting because the bonds of fellowship are enriched. I love what we might call special events at church. I love vacation Bible school. I like church camp, although today my legs and my lungs don't like it too much. I like gospel meetings. 
Of course, primarily I like those things because of what we've already talked about, that we're focusing on God, that we are deepening our knowledge of His Word. That's the primary reason. But I also enjoy those things for the very simple reason that I get to see you more. We get to be around each other more. We get to enjoy each other's company, to be involved in each other's lives on a deeper level, in a more focused way. Just a few weeks ago, we spent an entire lesson thinking about the concept of fellowship, focusing on Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. I'm not going to re-preach that whole lesson here, but I want you to remember in that passage, we're told that the early church devoted themselves to certain things. And one of those things they devoted themselves to was fellowship. The word is koinonia. We define that in that lesson as participation or community or an intimate relationship. They devoted themselves to that. It took effort for them to do that, but that helped them grow closer together which would help them grow closer to God and to grow in number. During a gospel meeting, our gospel meetings, there are going to be various opportunities built in for fellowship that that enrich our lives. This coming Sunday morning after our worship service, we're going to have a congregational meal together. Then Sunday afternoon, as already mentioned, we're going to play softball and I'll strike out 11 times. We'll all be together. And even if you can't play, you can be there and and enjoy people's company and, and all those sorts of things. During the weeknights, there'll be meals taught, uh, given by our various adult Bible classes. For those classes, we, all, we sometimes talk about that as feeding the preacher or feeding the preacher's family, the visiting preacher's family. That's true, but it's also a period of fellowship where that class grows closer together. Those classes, if they're combining, grow closer together. There are times built in where we eat together, where we pray together, where we enjoy conversations with each other. And then, of course, we come in here and we worship together. And we're growing in the bonds of fellowship in that way as well. We are enriched by growing closer to the Lord together. We are strengthened as a Christian family each and every time we are together. And seven times in one week, we will do just that. If I get to see my brothers and sisters in Christ, all of them, several times in one week, to enjoy meals with them, to worship with them, that sounds like good news to me. We can rightly call it a gospel meeting simply because we are together and those bonds of fellowship are strengthened. And so that's what we're having. The Ninth Avenue congregation puts a high premium on gospel meetings. Not many congregations anymore still have two each year. We do. Our elders have already planned speakers well into the future. Folks, we have a, we have a scheduled meeting, I'm not kidding, for 2026. I'll be about 91 years old when that meeting comes around. Or maybe I'll feel that. I don't know. But we already have one meeting scheduled that far out in advance. It may seem silly, but it's because we want great speakers. We want to schedule whoever we can get. We want to make sure that we can have these opportunities a couple of times a year to come together. I know our elders have already prayed. I know you have already invited people. But we need to continue to show people why this will truly be a gospel meeting. It is good news. And so before we extend the Lord's invitation, I want you to take a few moments with me, if you will, and let's spend some time in prayer for this very special week that will begin, Lord willing, next Sunday. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this congregation. We thank you for her leadership. We thank you for each member. And Father, we thank you that because of our leadership, because of the involvement of so many and the care and concern of so many, that we can have special events throughout the year, vacation Bible school, church camp, and 
especially as we're thinking this morning about our gospel meetings. And Father, we are especially mindful of the meeting that will begin next Sunday. We ask you to bless us as we prepare. We ask you to help us to prioritize as many times as we can come to be eager to hear your word, to be eager to fellowship with one another. Help us all also to take these next few days to invite others, to encourage others, whether they can come to all the services or just one, to come and hear about Jesus. Father, we ask you to bless each of us with health so that we can attend as much as we can. And Father, we ask you to bless us with, with hearts that are willing to pray to you in the coming days so that we can be ready. We ask you to be with our speaker. We ask you to be with Dad. The leaders already know how much he's prepared. We know he will continue to prepare this week. We ask you to bless uh, he and Mom as they travel here. We ask you to bless them with health that he will be able to speak well. We ask you to bless him throughout the week as he speaks, but also as he encourages us through visitation and other things, that it will truly be a good news meeting. Father, we ask you to help us to always have a mind and a heart that desires to hear your word, that wants to drink deeply, that would never think of putting anything else before coming before you in worship and coming together with your people and coming together to honor you and to glorify you. We pray for this church that everything we do, whether it's a special week like a gospel meeting or just a regular week like we might be coming up this week, that we will always put you first and that others will know that, that the gospel, the good news, is a part of our lives. And we are most thankful for Jesus because it's because of him that we can use the word gospel. And it's through him we pray. Amen. Sometimes when we get near the end of a lesson, we'll hear someone say, hear a preacher say that maybe there's someone who needs to obey the gospel. Have you ever considered that? If the gospel, as, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, how do you obey an event? And then we remember that the word gospel means good news. You are reacting to the best news you could ever hear. You are reminded of the fact that you really were lost in sin. Maybe you really are lost in sin if you're not a Christian yet. But the best news I could ever tell you is that God Himself became man and took your place on the cross. And He gives you an opportunity to contact what He did all those years ago on the cross so that those sins that you've committed, those things that stand between you and God, are completely taken away. That's good news. And maybe this morning there's someone here who needs to obey that. Who has never gone into the waters of baptism where those sins are washed away, where by faith you contact the blood of Jesus Christ. It would be the best news we could announce this morning if in a few moments when we sing, someone came forward and said, I'm ready to obey the gospel. I'm ready to react to that good news. I would suppose that the vast majority of us in this room who are of age, who are old enough to understand that, have done those things. But maybe you're not reflecting the gospel. Does anyone around you really know that good news is what defines your life? 
That the fact that Jesus died for you and took your place on the cross, that He gives you the hope of heaven, that's what defines your life. Maybe this morning you're struggling with that. And you need to return in faithfulness or need to come forward and ask for encouragement. It would be fantastic news if we were able to say that someone says, I've been struggling, but I want to reflect that in my life. I want the light of Jesus to shine and for others to know that good news, gospel, defines my life. Our scripture this morning came from Galatians chapter 1. And the Apostle Paul said that if he were to preach any other gospel than what he was supposed to preach, they should be accursed. The easy way to stay away from being accursed is to simply know that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus was raised, and that you have an opportunity to reenact that in the waters of baptism and then reflect that in your life.